In the winter of 1623, the poet John Donne was seriously ill when he wrote Meditation 17, which is his, his famous work on death. Okay, it begins this way. You'll know this when you hear it. No man is an island entire of itself. And it closes with these lines, any man's death diminishes me. Any man's death diminishes me because I'm involved in mankind. And therefore, never sin to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Now, Dunn hits on something that we know and feel deeply but often ignore. And that is... God's intent that we be meaningfully connected with other people in community. Okay, God actually made us to thrive in community. We, we, we've talked about this before. He established this truth from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. God works through each of the six days of creation. And at the end of each day, he looks over what he has done and says, that's good. By the way, that reveals that it is possible to be humble and reverently celebrate your own work. God looked at what he had done and was satisfied. On the sixth day, after creating man and seeing how everything worked together, he said at the end of chapter 1, he said everything is good. But in Genesis 2... The writer actually zooms in on the details of the sixth day of creation. Man was created, and by the way, when man's purpose was revealed, an interesting thing happens. Long before sin enters the picture, and by the way, ruins everything, God saw that something was not good. You remember? Everything was good, except this one thing. What, what was not good? The scripture says that God saw that Adam was alone, and it wasn't good. He was alone. God understood, because of the way he made it, for Adam to fulfill the purpose for which he was created. He needed a helper suitable for him. Now listen, not a helper like a servant. Okay, not a helper, someone to run his errands, but someone to come alongside him as a companion that he could share the responsibilities and joys of life with. God saw that Adam would not be fulfilled if he lived his life, in the words of John Donne, as an island entire of itself. Adam needed community, so God created Eve. Okay, now obviously, from the very beginning, God ordained community as a means to the end of the life we're designed for. Community is a means to the end of the life you were designed with. As a matter of fact, what we need to understand today is that community is an indispensable part of the immeasurably more life. It is an indispensable part of the life we long for. If, if there's a recipe, the life you've always dreamed of, community would be a feature ingredient without substitutes. Okay, the abundant, flourishing life is a life that is lived in healthy, mutually symbiotic community. That kind of community where everyone gives for the greater good. 
Listen to these scriptures. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, the scripture says, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. He was isolated, an island unto himself. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. It's a miserable business. See, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if you lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We're designed for community. We need community whether it's to be sharpened, encouraged, or assisted for the opportunities that life brings our way, or to recover from the calamity that befall us, it is community that inspires, guides, empowers, and protects us along the way. And that's just as God designed it. You are designed to thrive in community. We need to be in relationships with other people. And by the way, these are not virtual relationships formed by friend requests and follows. These are real. These are always flesh and sometimes blood relationships where we occupy the same spaces, confront the same challenges, rubbing elbows, meeting eyes, doubling joys, and bearing burdens. That of community. It is community with others where we find our groove. That's the way God designed it. Now, most all relationships are beneficial. That's what these two passages of Scripture say. Not all relationships are beneficial. Most healthy relationships, symbiotic, mutually sacrificial, are helpful. It's always better to have relationships than not, because no man is an island. But what Scripture makes clear is that the relationships that lead to immeasurably more are those that are formed around the faith. Those relationships that lead to immeasurably more are always formed around the faith. Do you remember, we, there's a passage of Scripture we've been looking at in Ephesians chapter 3. What we've learned over and over again there is that immeasurably more is only possible through the power of Christ that we access through union with Him. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. Ephesians 3, 20. I should have been ready. I know it. Now to Him who able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to what? According to His power at, that is at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Amen. Now understand, in union with Christ, 
in his power, we experience the abundant life because we are united to the source of life. His power literally works within us when we have, by his grace through our faith, connected to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. But listen, here's the reality. We usually see that passage of Scripture as aimed at each one of us. It's for you, and it's for you, and it's for you, and it's for me. It's aimed at us as individuals. That's how we see it. But it's actually clear that it's aimed at all of us as a group. The community, the body of Christ, it is the church, the body of Christ that brings him glory when we are united with him and with his community. Now Paul's aim in this passage of Scripture is to let the church in Ephesus know, and by the way, the church in Clearwater, that immeasurably more is not just God's vision for you individually, it is God's vision for us collectively. God has big dreams for his children, not just one or two of them, but all of them together. Look what Peter wrote in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. The scripture says, but you, and understand that's plural, y'all, okay, you guys, but y'all, those who have their faith in Jesus, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. Once you were all individuals separated. You weren't a people. But now you are people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now listen. The church, the body of Christ, understand, is not the kingdom of God. We are not the kingdom of God. By the way, that's gotten church in trouble. See the Crusades. That's wrong thinking. So what is the church? The church has been chosen to point to or signal the coming of the kingdom of God. That's our privilege. It is our role and responsibility. We are the body of Christ, and collectively we are supposed to bear the image of Christ himself. When people encounter us as the body of Christ, they are encountering Christ. Now what does that mean? That means that we are a testimonial community. Okay, We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood called out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people. Once, apart from Christ, we were not a holy nation. We were not a community. But now we are. As a matter of fact, we're, we are a community of mercy. That's called to show mercy to the world around us. We're actually called... To show what heaven will be like. 
what the kingdom of God is like. Now, when we're doing our part, cooperating with God to do the good works that he has prepared in advance for us, all of us to do, for those of us who are a part of his holy nation, Christ's power is working in us and through us. And then, when we're living out his vision for his body, collectively experience immeasurably more. That's our reality. And it's our privilege if we're connected. Connected to Christ and connected to each other. Now, on the other hand, If you're a follower of Jesus, this reality is assumed. It is assumed that you understand that you're a part of the body of Christ. That you're involved in the holy nation. If you're not, then I can assure you that immeasurably more will avoid you. You'll miss it. See, Christ redeemed us. He redeemed you. United with you and made you a part of the holy nation, the royal priesthood. We are all, as believers, a part of the body of Christ for the purpose of doing the work that none of us can do alone. We unite together to change the world. So, if you're committed to experiencing the abundant life that God created you for, what do you do? What, what does it look like to be a part of the body, a part of the holy nation? Well, there are two things that we need to understand. First means that we are, all of us, committed to doing our part. You have to be committed to something beyond yourself. You have to be committed to the greater good. You can't just be along for the ride. You're a part of a family. Paul wrote frequently about this aspect of community. And by the way, we're, we're going to look at this in more detail next week. But, but I want you to see that he wrote what he wrote to the church in Rome that is required to build the community, the holy nation, and to fulfill its mission. Look at Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ... Though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Just like your body has different parts. You guys know that, right? It's, you're probably really aware of that when one part is malfunctioning or in pain, right? 
And so just as your body has many members that serve different roles, the body of Christ does too. Again, we're going to talk about it next week. Those roles are determined by your spiritual gifts. Those graces that God has given you to enable you to do your part. But the big picture point for us today that Paul is making here is that in Christ, when we are united with Him, we are all a part of the body of Christ. And just as all of our individual parts belong to our whole body, each one of us belongs to all the others. In other words, you can look around and see who you're responsible for. You can look around within the body of Christ, within the church, and see who you're supposed to serve. Now, now think about This is a brilliant illustration by Paul Shocker. And I could never survive alone, could it? And I could never thrive if it was separated from the rest of the body. As a matter of fact, its significance is derived from being connected to the body and doing its part to help the entire body see. In the same way, the members of the community known as the body of Christ, for us, our joy and purpose is derived as we operate within and serve the body that we are connected to. And if we aren't plugged in that community, then we miss our purpose. There's, there's this crazy idea that Christians can thrive apart from the body of Christ. That's as silly as thinking an eye can thrive apart from the body it was placed in. That's not how it works. Each one of us, as a crucial part of the body of Christ, we are as crucial to the body of Christ as the eye is to our human body. And when we grasp that, we are delighted to have a place. We are delighted to belong to all the other members. So, for us to achieve what God has called us to achieve, we collectively, we each have to individually be committed to doing our part. Second, being a part of body means that we are united by a shared story. And the common experience. We all have the same story. Look what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you, listen to this, all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's only possible in Christ, right? To thrive in our calling, in our role as a holy nation, royal priesthood, we have to be on the same page. We have to be united with each other perfectly in mind and thought. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we all have to think the exact same things? Does that mean everything we look at, we have to see it in, uniformly? 
No. It means that we learn to see ourselves as having one story. That we believe the same things, think the same things about that story, and by the way, that we are doing the same things, that we're all pulling in the same direction. Now, to solidify our nation within our story, God gave us two things that we do that we When we return to them, they keep us on the same page. These are things that the church has been doing since Christ died on the cross and was raised from the dead. Now, some churches call these two things sacraments, and others call them ordinances or orders because they are things that Christ ordered his body to do. Okay, And when we do them in obedience strengthens our union with Christ and with each other. Now, at Scotrest, we practice two of these orders. What are they? They are baptism, and they are the Lord's Supper, or communion. Every member of the holy nation, of the royal priesthood, of the body of Christ, is commanded to participate in these ordinances because... They strengthen our bond and they set us apart because they remind us that we have a common story. And they do so in three ways. When we participate in these ordinances, they remind us of what Christ did for us to connect us with God and each other. And you know what he did, right? He died on the cross for us. He offered his body as a living sacrifice to unite us with God and each other. So they remind us, remind us of what Christ did for us. They claim what Christ did for us. Did you know that when you're baptized and when we take communion, we are bearing witness to the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior? It is a proclamation of our story. Baptism and the Lord's Supper also celebrate what Christ did for us. It is our expression of gratitude. And it deepens our union with Him. Let's talk about each one briefly. What what does baptism do? Look at Romans chapter 6, beginning... In verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And we say this all the time. This is typically our focus. We say that baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. But I want us to think about the word St. Augustine who said that baptism is a visible sign of an invisible reality. Mysteriously, what God's word says is that when we are baptized into Jesus, we are baptized into his death 
and we are raised into his life, that union. We are baptized into his death and raised into his life. By his death on the cross, Jesus bore our sins. He took the punishment for our sin. And when, when we are baptized into him, his death becomes our death. It's a death that we should die because we are rebellious sinners against God, but is one we don't have to die when we place our faith in Jesus. In the same way, when we are baptized into him, we are baptized, his life becomes our life. As we become a new creation, living his resurrected life, we experience his power for life. Baptism is a celebration of our union with Christ and all that it means, and it mysteriously unlocks the possibilities of the new life because we have chosen obedience. We have chosen to follow Christ's word and celebrate his sacrifice. So it gives us the possibility of immeasurably more life. When we are baptized, our union with him is strengthened. And we make more space for him to live in us. All those who are members of his holy nation through faith in Jesus should have baptism as part of their story. All believers should have baptism as part of their story. You know what? I'm, I'm going to pause right now and pray for our friend here. Uh, Dr. Lentz, Dr. Benjamin went with him. And uh, let's just pray that God will give him help. Father, um, I'm so grateful that we know you care that you are a God who heals. And I pray for our friend, Lord. I'm thankful that Dr. Benjamin was here with him. And I pray, Lord, that you would give her wisdom as she seeks to cooperate with um, your plans for his good health. In Christ's name. Amen. Baptism should be a part of your story. Like it's what Christ tells us to do. And if you have not joined the course of praise and proclamation through the waters of baptism, for you it is the next step to live the life God created you for. Okay, obedience to his command to be baptized lifts the lid on your spiritual life and strengthens your union with Christ. And in the process, it proclaims God's pursuit of those who don't yet know him. That's baptism. Now, the Lord's Supper, a remembrance of his death, can also be called a visible sign of an invisible reality. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 16 
I want you to listen to this because typically we zero in on the symbolism of communion. But I want you to see what Paul says here. And let's don't just trace his words because we're uncomfortable with them. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Listen, mysteriously, beyond my comprehension, the cup of thanksgiving is participation in the blood of Christ. Mysteriously, the bread that we partake of is participation in the body of Christ. It is a celebration of the union that we have with Christ. Mysteriously, partaking in union strengthens our unity with Christ and with each other as it tells the story of His holy nation. And do you know what we're celebrating when we come to the table? We're celebrating the fact that the Lord Jesus voluntarily gave his life to liberate us from the laws of sin and death and welcome us into community. The Lord instructed us to remember his death. That's what communion is for. It's the circumstances under which he died. The reason he died. The amazing grace that he offers us that frees us to live the life he created us to live in community. I would encourage you to remember that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is a celebration of grace. Okay, we, we don't have to be perfect. To participate in the blood and the bread, his body. As a matter of fact, <laughs> the reason we come to the table is because we need his grace. Partaking of communion doesn't depend upon our perfection, just our recognition of the need for forgiveness that was provided by Jesus. Now, the celebration of communion is for those who have accepted God's gift, His gracious gift of forgiveness for sins, by trusting in the one who died for us. We, we, don't, we don't take this lightly. We ask God to help us understand the gravity of His sacrifice and to reverently celebrate our union, the one who died for us. So listen, at Skycrest, we practice open communion. That means... If you're a believer, if you're a part of the holy nation, you're welcome to join us. Those who believe okay, should come to the table and take the juice and the bread, which signify the body and the blood of Christ. When you come to the table and get it, then return to your seat, and we're going to guide you through this remembrance. If you aren't able to come forward and take the elements, then we have someone who will bring them to you and serve you. Okay, so just... His name's Dan. He's right back there, and he'll have stuff walking around. If you want to be served, then that's what he's going to do. But today, we're celebrating our union with Christ and with each other. 
we're celebrating our shared story and the price that Christ paid to bring us into his story for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his willingness to live and die for us. Lord, we don't want to take for granted his body broken or his blood shed. And so we reflect on his great goodness. I pray, Lord, that our union with you would be strengthened, that our vision for the life of a measure more will be expanded, not for our sake, but for yours, for your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.